Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's episode of Liberty. I'm your host, Caleb Franz, and this is the Voice of Liberty for a New Generation. I'm thrilled to have you here this week. Thank you for your audience. Thank you for your participation. Um, you make the show possible, and I, I can't thank you enough for that. Uh, if you haven't had the chance yet, please go back and uh, take a little bit of time out of your day after, of course, you listen to this episode. Please go back and listen to my interview with Austin Peterson from last week because that is a really fantastic interview um, that I was really pleased with after I finished recording it. And then after I went back and actually listened to it after we published it, I was even more impressed with it. And not from my end, but from his end. Um, so I was... I was thoroughly uh, thankful for that, and um, of course, thanks to, to Austin for coming on the on the show. Um, so if you haven't yet, please go back and listen to that. But this week, we're going to actually talk about something we, we touched on a little bit last week with Austin, and that is, of course, as you can tell from the title of the show, Immigration, uh, which is obviously a subject that has deeply divided the nation, certainly within the past election cycle. Um, and even many libertarians are greatly divided on this issue. Um, and it's something that I have been a little bit torn about uh, for the longest time, but now I, I have a pretty firm grasp on where I stand. Um, and it, it kind of gives me some unique perspective, maybe not unique, because I'm sure a lot of people have this um, who have come to, to the conclusion that I have, but just just a, an interesting perspective because I, I can see certainly both sides of the argument when it comes to this, but this this week, actually the, the, the next two weeks, this week we'll be talking about immigration, next week we'll be talking um, about healthcare because I'm about to lose all of my conservative audience on this week's episode. So hopefully I can gain them back next week. Um, but the reason for that is because one, uh, we're instead of having our summer interview series continue next week, we're going to have it continue the week after that because July is kind of uh, it's it's kind of a long month. So we're trying to get that back on on schedule, um, and then. This week and next week also kind of gives me the chance to talk to you one on one because we haven't talked about a few different uh, a few different issues that I feel like should be addressed um, from from several different angles and arguments uh, and I think that this is something that I, I I think it's time we we start to put our foot down and say this is where we stand on on this now this week Kevin McCarthy the House Majority Leader uh, tweeted out. I think last Friday or something, um, that the House would be voting on funding for the border wall on the border of Mexico. And also, of course, uh, the Senate is voting on the health care bill. Um, so we're going to use those two points of, uh, of interest and really drive our conversation to the bigger picture because this is... While I, I could stand up here and tell you and talk to you about the news of the day, and we've done that before sometimes, but we don't, I don't try to do that too often because, one, I know that you're competent enough to, to gather information on your own, and that doesn't really get us very far. I want to talk about the ideas and the issues underneath 
that that really drives the issues of the day. So while yes, there's there's discussion on the border wall this this week, um, I I want to talk about the bigger picture of immigration and where liberty, like where do libertarians fall on this issue? Because we're kind of scattered on on something like this, um, like several issues. Because as we all know, libertarians can never agree on anything with anyone, even amongst themselves. So we're kind of scattered on this issue. And uh, I, I really want to, to kind of sit down and, and really try to focus on this uh, because this really is about freedom and there's some real fallacies when it comes to immigration. Um, some I give a little bit more credit to than others on how, how reasonable it is. But on this episode, that's, that's kind of what I want to do is go through a lot of those fallacies when it comes to immigration and really just debunk them because it's whenever you strip them away i have found myself because i i've believed several of these things myself as well but whenever you strip these things away for what they actually were and or what they actually are and they are fallacies then you find yourself in a situation where you can't help but support open borders and that is something that is almost a dirty word in today's political sphere um, but I think it's been a bit corrupted because, first of all, it's important to note that open borders is not the same as, say, no borders. To have open borders is not saying you are completely erasing the borders. It's saying you are making it easy and flexible to allow individuals their freedom of movement. That's completely different than saying no borders. In fact, if you just merely enforce property rights, you would probably have a stronger border with open borders than you would have with what we currently have right now. Because right now it's a big fell swoop. It's a one-size-fits-all approach. And closed borders is, quite frankly, on the other side of the issue, closed borders is just the thing that dictatorial regimes do. And that, of course, I don't know that any libertarian, well, many are not on board of, of open borders. I, I don't know of any libertarian who is, is self-respecting who could actually support the idea of completely closing um, the border. But it should be also important to note that there are a lot of, as I've said, a lot of, um, a lot of fallacies concerning around why people are so hesitant to bring immigrants in and to loosen up the immigration process. Because while, yes, I, I do want more open borders, not entirely open, but about as much, this is where my minarchism comes in. While I don't, I don't support um, total anarchy in the sense of no government whatsoever, I do support uh, the idea that government is instituted to protect your life, your liberty, and your property. Um, and I want that to be the case on the border debate as well and on the immigration debate as well. Um, so I do think that in the, in the sense of, say, like Ellis Island style immigration, I think that's a good thing. And I, where we do have security checks and we do have disease checks um, and people don't have the right to come in here and be a hazard to national or personal security as well as come in here and bring... A whole slew of diseases to the United States just short of that we should be open to immigrants and we should be open to immigration in fact 
every single time that we have become more restrictive in our immigration policy simultaneously, and this is no coincidence, simultaneously, we have always uh, seen a trend where as our immigration tightens up, so does our attitude toward liberty. We are, we are not as free as, as what we would like to be in those scenarios. Now, there are many reasons for why people still support this, um, and I'm about to get into many of those reasons right now. The first of which, well, first of all, all three of them, when it comes down to it, it's all the same reason, okay? It's because of fear. And that is something that, of course, we've talked about on this program before. Uh, fear is the greatest enemy of liberty. Fear drives people to, to sacrifice the things that we would not typically sacrifice. This is why you can get away with so much uh, more during times of war than you can during times of peace. Because the situation is different. Because you just want to be safe at that point. We have to make the distinction that the government's job is not to provide total absolute security at the expense of our liberty. And fear drives us to make those sacrifices. Whether that be economic liberty that we're giving up or uh, personal liberty that we are giving up, it's not the government's job to provide for that total security. As long as it's not sacrificing liberty, yes, the government can do that. But the moment it, it steps over those boundaries is where we have to draw the line and say, no, you have to get back because you cannot do this. Now, the first one that I want to get into is the economic, uh, the economic fear that many Americans have. That is really, I think, this one is the absolute most ridiculous reason to oppose immigration out of all of the three that I'm about to, to outline. Because it really, it's, it's ironic, but it's sadly ironic because a lot of people who tout the, the things that, uh, some of the arguments on this, tend to be uh, of the conservative mindset. They tend to be at least right of center, certainly Trumpian. Um, and it's ironic because these are the same people who scour leftists for making the same arguments, but except within our own border. But they're making the same arguments uh, without. Now, some of these arguments, first of all, it has to be stated that it's not the government's job to protect your job. It's not the government's job to um, limit immigration just to be compatible, have, have the U.S. economy catch up with the level of immigration. That's not the job of the government. The government shouldn't have any of its fingers in the, the economy, and that includes limiting immigration for the sake of the economy. Now, that is, of course, assuming that immigrants are a hindrance to, to the economy, which is just simply not the case. It has never, ever been proven that immigrants depress wages or take our jobs. And that, of course, is the, the big argument that everyone, a lot of the right-of-center economic illiterates will tend to profess is that if, if we let all these immigrants come in, then they're just taking our jobs. Well, first of all, you're not entitled to a job. You don't have a right to a job. You have the right to pursue a job, sure. But if somebody else who has very little skill sets, 
speaks little to no English can take your job, or if you get fired and get replaced by somebody like that, more often than not, that's going to be your fault. Not the fault of the employer or the immigrant, but somewhere along that line, you probably messed up somewhere. Because I promise you, employers much prefer workers who are, who are competent and, and can actually speak English. Now, that's not to say that I support a national, uh, a national language or anything, but most of the time employers would prefer if, uh, if they spoke the language that their customers speak. If you can't hold a job and get replaced by an immigrant, that's your fault. The second mistake in this line of thinking is that there are a finite number of jobs. Um, and that leads into, of course, the third mistake in this line of thinking. But to stay on the second one for just a second, there are no finite number of jobs. Jobs that existed 20 years ago, many of them do not exist today. And 20 years before that, uh, many of the jobs that existed there didn't exist 20 years ago. Many of the jobs that exist, uh, that exist today will not exist 20 years from now. In a free market, in a completely, totally free market, there is no limitation in the number of jobs whatsoever. And this leads into the third one, which is, I think, the biggest reason people have this, this uh, fallacy is because they don't understand this. And we're going to go back to Friedrich Bastiat for this one because he led to his great work, That Which is Seen and Unseen. Um, and what I'm referring to is uh, his, his economic theory of whenever we see somebody um, get laid off, that's, that's something that we all see. If they get laid off from a certain job and then the next thing you know is that you see an immigrant come in, an immigrant worker, and take his job, supposedly, if, if he's the replacement, then that's what is seen. What is unseen is what he does after he leaves that job scenario because I promise you he's not going to be unemployed for the rest of his life okay I promise you that if, if he's a hard-working man or woman and he has the drive and the, the determination to go out and get another job or maybe maybe even open his own business then while yes especially if he opens his own business while yes that immigrant may have his job that he had prior now he just opened a business and now he is employing uh, twice the amount of people that were previously employed. That's what's unseen in that whole situation. If you have the drive and if you have the determination to go out and get a job or to go out and make a job, then you can do that. That's the great thing about the free market system. That's something that I thought conservatives understood, but evidently it's uh, not so, not as much understood as what I, uh, what I previously thought. Now, the government has no right to limit um, an employer on employing people who, whoever he wants, whoever that employer wants. The government has no right to limit that employer on the, on the type of employees that he should have. Just because you are born here in the United States does not mean you are entitled to a job within the United States. Likewise, if like I, I promise you, the same same people who are professing this, if one of them, in some random uh, situation, uh, went out and 
got hired at some company in, say, London. The same conservative individuals who were professing this, um, this, this line of thinking. And if somebody, uh, if somebody tried to say that you can't hire them because they don't live here, I promise you many of them will say, wait a minute, who are you to say that I can't work for this person just because I don't live within the same country? It's foolish. It's ridiculous. It's anti-freedom. It's anti-free markets is what it is. What happens typically in real life, however, is that, yes, while some immigrants come in, and yes, they do take a lot of, uh, of, of jobs, first of all, they put out just as much as they take in. So a lot of people look at them like they're, like they're dead weight, as if it's going to depress wages if we, if we let them all in. If they are employed, they are putting out into the economy just as much as they are taking in from the economy. So there's virtually, a, a, it's virtually net zero. There's no gain or loss. Um, in that scenario. But what happens is that typically many immigrants who come to the United States are typically either very low skilled or very highly skilled. Most Americans are somewhere in the middle, meaning that the immigrants that take those low skilled, low hanging jobs or the high skilled, high paying jobs that leaves Americans to do what Americans are typically uh, uniquely, uniquely qualified to do. If they are immigrants who are in the bracket of the of the high-paying jobs, then that just means that they're just creating more jobs. And by result, we have a net benefit to the economy. A free market and a total free market, it doesn't care about borders. I hate to tell you this, but a complete free market has no Fs to give about, <laughs> about a border. If you have the goods... If two individuals on one side of the border and the other side of the border wants to trade in a total free market, they should be allowed to do that. That's the beautiful thing about capitalism. It sees no race, it sees no religion, it sees no border. That's what the free market is. Now, that leads us into our second fallacy that I want to touch on, which I give a very, very small amount of credit to, just a little bit more than the economic uh, reasonings for resisting immigration uh, because immigration is always a positive for the economy. It has never been a negative. In fact, the only thing that, that is, is, tends to be proven to either depress wages or, or limit an individual's uh, ability to uh, get a new job, it's not immigrants, it's government. That's the only thing. Now, the second thing that I want to go to, and like I said, I give just a little bit more credit to this idea, but not much, like 0.2% more. Like, it doesn't hold much weight at all, right? It doesn't hold any weight in my book, but I, I can understand where people are coming from a little bit more than I can the economic reasons, and that is cultural reasons, cultural preservation. Um, now, there are a lot of... There's, there's a lot of political spin that comes into this part of the, the discussion, but the, the narrative is that uh, we have to at least make, use the government to limit the amount of immigration coming into the country because if we have too much uh, immigration coming through, then it will fundamentally transform the country culturally from what we see it today to something 
unrecognizable in a short of a five to ten year time span. Okay, uh, first of all, I, there's not going to be enough immigrants to come to the country in, in certainly our current setting, but even if we loosened up the immigration process a lot, um, to completely transform it in this doomsday scenario that you're talking about, that's foolish. That's ridiculous. Now, even if it did come in and just completely transform the country, transform it into what exactly? Because America, it doesn't have a, a, a background and a culture like most other countries do. A lot of other countries... Um, have a very specific regional, you know, regional culture um, that is is unique to their own country. America is unique in that it has all of the best parts of all of those cultures, and it's united in the one culture that is American, that is specific to America because it was conceived in this. America has a culture of liberty. That is the American culture. Now, whether we always live up to that culture or not, that's for another discussion for another day, obviously. But the American culture is a culture of liberty. There is no, you know, if, if, if some, you know, Mexican family wants to come up to the United States and bring their culture with them, that's fine. If a Muslim family wants to do the same, that's fine. There is no reason to be fearful of this because uh, a lot of people will start to point to, well, you know, this if, if people do this and if we allow all these immigrants to flood in, then um, then the Constitution is at risk. Because what if they don't appreciate and love the Constitution as much as we do? My reaction to that, now for a while I gave a little bit of credit to this, but not for very long because I began thinking, well... Who's to say that we do? Who's to say that we have that kind of uh, appreciation and adoration for the Constitution? In fact, I would say that it's, it's quite the opposite. I would say the immigrants who are coming here to the United States are much more prone to liberty than even those who are native here. And this is something that uh, Benjamin Bach, who was uh, Benjamin Franklin's uh, grandson, and he kind of took on the family trade of being a, a publisher. He ran one of the biggest publications during uh, the Adams administration and was one of his biggest opponents. Um, he said, and I really just, I found this truly eloquent. He said, in reason and in fact, what is the difference between the foreign-born and the native citizen? Truly, it is in the favor of the former. He is in the U.S. because of choice, and the latter because of chance. If somebody's coming here, which I think that is an incredibly powerful uh, argument to be made, because, you see, we have been facing this, this argument has been made since the beginning and since the conception of the country, and it has always been made by those who want to stifle our liberty. Ironically, those who say that, well, if we let all these uh, this, these waves of immigrants in, then what's going to happen? Well, we're just going to lose all of our liberty because they're bringing all these cultures that aren't that aren't the same as ours. Ironically, those very people were the very people who have limited the liberty of the United States, 
and of its citizenry. Whether it was John Adams and the Alien and Sedition Acts of 1798, or whether it uh, leaped forward into uh, the eras of, of Theodore, uh, Theodore, Woodrow, Theodore Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson, or up to FDR, it's all the same. Everyone who has made these arguments, everyone who has said that immigrants will bring the end of the United States has always been the ones, they have always been the ones, who ironically are on the flip side of that. I am much more concerned, not about the immigrants taking away our freedoms, but about those in higher power. Or how about the Marxist professors in our universities who were born here in the United States? I'm much more concerned about what they could fundamentally do to the culture of our country than somebody fleeing another country in fear and in terror of what they just saw in, say, somewhere like Syria or somewhere like Mexico. They are fleeing because they know what kind of culture they have there and they know what kind of culture that the United States has. The United States is a place that has always been welcome to immigrants, sometimes more than others, but the more we restrict it, we have to face the reality of this. The more we restrict it, the more we are restricting liberty. If not immediately, very shortly afterwards. This has always been the case. This argument of cultural preservation um, has always been used since the beginning of our nation, whether it was the Irish and the, uh, and the Scottish and the French uh, during the times of, of Adams or Mexican and Muslim immigrants today. It has always been the same argument throughout history. Don't let somebody tell you that it's for cultural preservation because it's not, okay? It's not. It has always been the case all throughout our history. And unless somebody is a, a literal white supremacist, well, one of three things would happen if, if you bring this realization to them. One of three things will happen. One is that they are... Uh, a Richard Spencer type who were like, well, we have a European, uh, you know, we have a, a European ancestry here in, in a culture here in the United States, which is bullshit. Okay. We left and we gave the middle finger to the European culture in 1776. Yes, there were a lot of Englishmen in that batch, but the culture itself we rejected firmly in 1776 and we continue to to this day that we don't want to be like you we are a culture of liberty that's what we are either if if they're not one of one of those individuals they will either look at you and say you know what you're absolutely right or the truth will come out and they will say well they'll come here and they'll vote democrat and ah. Oh, 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 so it's partisan reasons. That's why you're opposed to it. Oh, I see, I see. That makes a lot more sense. You're afraid of losing voters. Well, I must say that if you are so concerned about your votes, maybe you should do some outreach. Because if if you're so bad, if maybe you just maybe you have a messaging problem because if you're so bad that you're only the only real reasoning under this uh, under this uh, 
umbrella of the of the culture that if you are so bad that if you're only reasoning uh, for opposing these individuals is because well they're they're just going to bring a whole bunch of of Democrats into into power. That's the culture that we're talking about. You know, if, if they just come in here and vote for all these Democrats, then we will see a fundamental transformation here in America. Well, I mean, I, I, I guess that would be right. But if you're so bad at, at marketing yourselves and your ideology, you should never, ever fear ideas. And you should never, ever fear um, trying to, to make people see the way that you see. If you're uh, afraid of confrontation because you've been so bad on these issues, that sounds like a you problem. I'm not surprised that they vote for Democrats because of how badly the Republican Party has been on this issue. Because a lot of them, I promise you, a lot of them, if you go to them and talk to them like human beings and connect with their fundamental principles, you will find that a lot of them will probably vote the way that you want them to vote. But you don't want to do that. Instead, you're too weak in your ideology that you have to limit the movement of individuals from one country to another to prevent and to ensure that you will win elections. I'm sorry, but I just don't hold, I don't hold any of that. I think that is the most cowardly reason to oppose immigration. Now, it's not the only reason. Because that leads us into um, our next third and final uh, reason, which uh, this one I give probably the most uh, the most credit to, honestly. Because one, this is the proper role of the government, whereas the other two were not. It's not the role of the government to preserve our culture. That's the role of the people. <laughs> um, and it's not the role of the government to preserve uh, the United States economy. Again, that's that's our job in a, in a totally free and open market. That's that's what we are supposed to do, not the United States government. But the third reason I do give some, some credit to, while uh, it not much, but uh, a little bit more, and that is for national security. Um, now, the government's job, it, as is outlined in the Constitution and in any um, philosophical you know, in, in, a, in a minarchist state, this is something that government would do. Its job is to protect your life, your liberty, and your property. Um, not at the expense of one of them, but that is part of its, its, its job. And I would not, I don't think it's unreasonable to, uh, to want some security screenings and some security precautions. And that's something I even support. But for the most part, a lot of people will take it far beyond just your baseline security screenings and precautions. And when it gets to that point, you stop, you, you exit the realm of logic, and you enter into the realm of fear yet again. Now here we are again. What if all these Muslims come in and they just start, they just start uh, uh, bombing all these different places and, and things like that again? This is a, a breakdown in, in truth and fear and emotion has taken over and, and, and replaced the facts and the truth of the matter. More, uh, most terrorist attacks that have occurred recently have happened um, because people who have been here um, from their youth, 
such as the Boston Bomber scenario, that's that's that kind of a situation, or they were, in fact, U.S. citizens. Now, this is something the left likes to claim a lot uh, on the gun debate. They will uh, claim that, you know, if they just had a background check. Well, most of the shootings that have occurred, they, they purchased their guns legally. Well, the same logic can be applied in this scenario. And just because, let's just say you have, let's just say uh, you have your way and immigration from the Middle East is completely shut down or even what Trump was talking about uh, toward, you know, I think it was a year and a half ago or whatever, when he was really into the, the Muslim ban. Let's just say we ban all Muslims. Well, that that seems to only be concerned not about terrorism, but about Islamic terrorism. So you, you have to answer, which one are you actually concerned about? Are you concerned about protecting uh, the lives of the individual? Or are you just concerned because Muslims are scary or something like that? Because I seem to remember that before 9-11, now yes, 9-11 is a situation where you can apply this logic to and it's still, like, it, it, it plays out the way that, that these people are, are pointing to. And they'll always point to 9-11 without, and, and while 9-11 is a, a good example, it tends to be the only example that they point to because there, there aren't many others. Um, most forget that before 9-11... The ideal terrorist in, in most Americans' mind, it wasn't some Arab Muslim from the Middle East. It was just some, some white boy with a, with a mental disorder or some radical. Anybody remember Timothy McVeigh, the, uh, the uh, Oklahoma City bombing? Why, why is nobody talking about that now? Because that was an act of terrorism. Now, while, yes, he, he was white, yes, he was uh, certainly not Muslim, it was still an act of terrorism. So I, I must ask, is, is the real concern terrorism or Islamic terrorism? Because if it is terrorism, then you should be just as concerned about that, and then you have everybody, your, your next-door neighbor could be a terrorist. Or is it just somebody who has, uh, happens to be of the Islamic faith? That's what we have to really put into perspective, into our mind. And we can't let our fear dictate our policy. While, yes, we shouldn't be stupid about, um, about our, uh, our, our protocol when it comes to immigration. I, I don't think you should just let anyone in who wants to come in. There should be some screening, but it shouldn't be to the point where we let fear take the driver's seat in this situation. There was a, a great uh, a survey uh, and study from the uh, Cato Institute, which I think is uh, hilarious now because there's a big rift in the libertarian community between the Cato Institute and the Mises Institute, which I think both are fantastic. I don't, I don't have any quarrels. I think both of them do really important work, different work, but really important work um, to advance the cause of liberty. But there was a great uh, survey done by the Cato Institute that I'll, I will be linking in the show notes here. Um, and it basically the, the statistics were that you will be um, 
the the statistics that you will be killed by a, a terrorist is in fact incredibly low, even if you uh, add 9/11 into into the numbers. It's one and three point six million. One and three point six million. Now, before you say, well, that's still a pretty high chance if you think that we have a, a country of 300 million. Okay, whatever. Um, before you start to say that, just remember that this statistic, the, the likelihood that you will be killed by gun violence is much higher. I am not at all arguing that we should have stricter gun laws. Quite the contrary. Quite the contrary. What I am saying is you have to take off your partisan blinders. You have to look at things. Separate fear from the mix. I'm, I, I completely get that you want some security protocols. I am 100% in favor of that. But you have to take off your partisan blinders if that's what's uh, blinding you. Or if fear and emotion is the one that is driving this. Look at this with a clear and focused head and say, you know what, maybe... Maybe it's 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 government that uh, that we should really be on the lookout for, not not some refugee, because when you really break down these uh, statistics, it becomes astronomical. It becomes you <laughs> like the likelihood of being killed by a, a a refugee from Syria specifically is unbelievably low. That uh, I I will be I will be linking that with the. With the show notes, as I've said, we can't live in fear when we are looking at issues like immigration. We have to look at this, one, from a free market angle. When you look at the, the economics of immigration, it, it really is about the free market. Either you believe in the free market or you don't. If you want to limit immigration because of free market, or uh, excuse me, because of economic reasons, because of the economy, then you don't really believe in the free market. I'm sorry. If you do believe in the free market, I suggest that you go just a little bit and dig just a little bit deeper into your philosophy and think, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't li limit uh, immigration because of that. If it's for cultural reasons, then I, I, I find it very hard to believe that most people who tout the cultural reasons are anything more than one, uh, a Richard Spencer type, two, a complete partisan hacker, just three, just somebody who maybe hasn't seen it through all the way uh, and seen it through the, the, the way that I have, I have outlined just now, I suggest that, that you step back and maybe consider that those native to the United States have a far greater likelihood to diminishing the culture of liberty that you supposedly want to protect far more than any immigrants would ever uh, be in favor of doing. And three, while yes, uh, we should always take national security into consideration, we can't let it dictate our lives. We can't let fear drive us. Some precautions are absolutely reasonable. It's natural to want that. But we should strive to make our country as close to open as possible so that it can also be as free as possible. There is no coincidence 
that the more open our immigration process is, the more open and the more free of a people we are. There is no coincidence in that. It's time that we start to look at things through the angle of liberty. Now, uh, as I have said, uh, that'll be our show for this week. That's a lot. I hope, I hope for my conservative listeners, I hope that you you still stay with me <laughs> uh, and don't leave me after that. Uh, I promise I'll try to get you back next week um, with our discussion on national health care uh, because we'll be talking about the GOP health care bill, uh, the Senate one in particular, uh, and we will be leading a discussion into the greater picture as to what is a right is healthcare a right? So hopefully I'll be you know gaining back a few of my uh, conservative audience members after after this one after hopefully you you all didn't leave me after this discussion. Um, so next week please join us back. Our summer interview series will continue uh, the week afterwards with Isaac Morehouse. He is um, he is the founder of Praxis. And we will be having one discussion that I have wanted to have for a long, long time because I have a very high disdain for college, and I think he shares a few of those sentiments. Um, so I can't wait for that kind of uh, discussion. Quick uh, programming notes. After that, I will be gone for a week. However, the show will go on. Um, Stephen Perkins, our editor-in-chief here at Outset, will be taking over for the show and then we'll be continuing our, our summer interview series the week after that. So again, please, thank you so much for your audience participation. Thank you uh, so much for listening to this show. Please share it throughout social media. Um, if you want to reach uh, some of your Trump supporters, I suggest you share this episode because that, that could lead to a very fun and lively discussion. Um, and please go to iTunes if you have some time. I, I, I really, it would really help if you would rate and review our, our show and really all of our podcasts here at Outset. Um, and we would really appreciate that. Uh, and then while you're there, just be sure to subscribe uh, to Maliberty so that you will never miss an episode or an update. Um, and then, of course, be sure to follow the show at Maliberty. Follow me at Caleb Franz on Twitter, and until next week, we'll see you.